Welcome to the Players Podcast for Friday, May 26th, 2023. This is not the voice you probably expected to hear. It is Nick Tamaro who is deputizing for Pete Fornatel, who is out out and about, as Pete does uh, pretty frequently, but he also usually does his work when he's out. That's okay, though. He does plenty of work, and so I'm happy to fill in for him here on uh, this particular show. We've got a really exciting show for you. It is going to start with Edison Hatter coming to us all the way from Stockholm, Sweden, covering the elite loppet and uh, quite a bit of harness action going on over there. We're also going to have a uh, segment about Naira where we cover the pick six. We'll have a Santa Anita segment on the late pick five. Those are both for Saturday afternoon and as well as some of the JRA action. So we're going to span the globe and I, we are excited of course, to have all of you on board. Now that that's done, let's dig right in and welcome in Edison Hatter, our friend of course, and frequent contributor to in the money podcast.com. Edison, you're coming to us from a little bit farther away than normal, but I'm sure just as excited. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. Uh, I got to do my usual important work here, making the Meadowlands morning lines from here in the Sweden. So hopefully no criticisms my direction in about uh, a couple hours when they run their first race, if any of those lines are off or having done it across the, the uh, globe here. But uh, yeah, very excited to be here in Stockholm for the 2023 Elite Loppet to cover it for In the Money Media and uh, looking forward to a great weekend of racing. It's funny that you bring that up and not that I want to go on much of a tangent, but when I was was asked to do, given the job to do the morning line at Keeneland last year, the first two days of the meet, I was on a cruise and we had planned the cruise long before I, I was given the job. And so you can imagine how difficult it is, Wi-Fi wise and whatnot, to even get a racing form on the uh, on the ship. And so doing the morning line, which I'm sure there are a lot of people out there listening now, they're like, well, that explains why it was so terrible. But there will be no criticism from me about morning lines ever, especially yours, and I'm sure you're going to do just fine without a doubt. So Edison, tell us a little bit about the Elite Loppet and why it's such a big deal in Sweden, and expand a little bit on what you're doing over there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, Elite Loppet over here to the Swedish people, this is essentially their Super Bowl day this coming Sunday. I mean, this is the big sport they follow here in Sweden. It's horse racing, it's harness racing. And Elite Loppet is the elite race. It was founded to commemorate the 25th anniversary of Sovala Racetrack's founding. Sovala is the uh, Swedish capital of racing here in Stockholm. One of about 40 tracks throughout the country, but it's definitely one of the most prestigious. And obviously with this, a super prestigious race. And, you know, Nick, we, we talk all the time about trying to spread out the thoroughbred triple crown. We want the horses to race more often. Well, how about Harness World here? Two heats in one day. We'll see these horses in race six and seven early Sunday morning, and they'll come back, the top eight horses, for the final later that day. So the winner will have raced twice in one day. It's pretty incredible, you know, and I'm sure inevitably you've had somebody that was a novice that you were trying to bring into the game ask you whether how frequently horses run, and they're like, oh, so these are these the same horses from earlier in the day, and this is a time where you can actually say, yes, they are the same horses from earlier in the day. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a rare opportunity. You get the chance to uh, uh, say that, but that is the case for Elite Loppet. Uh, and it's you know pretty similar to the little brown jug for American racing fans out in Delaware, Ohio every year, that two elimination format in one day. And obviously the old Hamiltonian used to be this way as well, but uh, definitely some interesting strategy and, in, you know, trying to conserve your horse just a little bit in that first race, but make sure you, of course, do well enough to get to the final. Yeah, no question about it. So, you know, obviously the majority of the listeners coming from uh, from this side of the pond, how have American horses and connections fared in the Elite Loppet in the past? 
Well, you know, it's not always the best timed race of the year in May to, uh, you know, accommodate our horses and their cycles and, you know, being in training and stuff. But the ones that we've sent, we've usually had fit. We've had them ready to go. And they've usually done pretty well here. Uh, we've seen Moneymaker win in 1998 with Wally Hennessy. Uh, the great John Campbell won with Mac Lobella in 1988. So uh, we've definitely seen some American success stories in the past. Uh, no real American connections this year, though. But Dexter Dunn is driving a horse in the race, as well as Oka Svonsted, who, of course, is a native to Sweden, but has been training in the United States for about the last decade now. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Dexter Don. I read where he's uh, he's there and uh, participating, and which obviously is great seeing Americans on uh, you know an international stage. So, in terms of the mechanics of it all, talk about the major differences between North American and Swedish racing. What are we what are we going to run into there? Yeah, uh, well, well, back to the Dexter thing for a second. I will say I ran into him earlier today at the racetrack. Uh, he's 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 been to France once as a spectator. He's never been to uh, Sweden at all to drive. So uh, totally new experience for him. First time driving in Sweden, first time driving in Europe. But uh, he seemed to have adjusted to the jet lag maybe a little bit better than I have. So that's probably good for him. So he uh, seems ready to go, excited to start driving tomorrow and, and this weekend. And uh, He'll be driving um, a couple of uh, U.S. horses, including Synergy, who we've seen here in the States before. And that's the other thing, uh, Nick. There's at least some American horses who have now made home in Sweden. We'll see on the cards this weekend, like Double Deceiver, Joviality, and Sister Sledge. But uh, with that in mind, the differences between the two races, well, there's these things called circle starts. So, you know, they'll, they'll line up behind the starting gate and go off like we do here in the U.S. for some races, uh, an auto start. But then they also do these circle starts where the horses just kind of circle and come to a stand and then they release the tape and and off they go. So that's definitely a little bit of a different style of a race. But we won't see any of those this weekend um, for the big stakes races, at least, uh, that we'll be covering like Elite Loppet. Um, But we do see with those races some handicaps. And one of the big races this weekend is the Harper Hanover. It's a grade one international race, almost two miles, so a very lengthy race. And uh, the best horses, they'll start 40 meters behind the rest of the field. So we see a handicap element with these circle starts as well. And uh, just in general, Nick, we we see very different racing styles. And uh, it's something I've covered in in the shows that we've done here for In the Money uh, to cover Swedish racing. So a lot more information there about it. But uh, for just a brief overview, 17%, one in six winners come from what they used to call the death seat here in Sweden. But it's a much more generous racing position now. It's first outside the leader, park the mile. I mean, I kind of would equate it to being three or four deep on the turf course the whole way around uh, in American racing. You know, you wouldn't think it the best place to be, but in this style of racing, you don't have any traffic to worry about. You got clear air the whole way. You're, you're just doing it hard, but uh, you can win from there. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, little do harness fans think that, that those – I would have had no idea that that kind of race even existed. So um, is, is this a – is this a particular – I mean, I'm, you're obviously very plugged into harness racing. Do you find yourself regularly following the racing in Sweden? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say for the last three, three, three and a half years, I've regularly followed, been very interested in Swedish racing, which is why, uh, you know, when PTF uh, and I and the folks from ATG got a chance to sit down last December at the racing symposium in Arizona to discuss about partnering to discuss their races this year, I just – was so excited for the opportunity to to present racing that I love to follow, love to bet on, love to watch uh, to the American audience. And uh, well, here we are on, on the big weekend. Yeah, that's super exciting. And obviously you're doing yeoman's work as always with uh, podcasts out already. You've got a couple of podcasts out so far and uh, you'll have a little bit more additional content as the weekend goes by, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've already got two podcasts out. Uh, the first one was just kind of a general overview and introduction to Swedish racing. So for our brand new novices, even if you're a harness racing fan and just want to learn about Swedish harness racing, I think that show is a fantastic listen. And once you listen to that one, episode two is uh, a little bit of a more in-depth look at this year's fields, this year's races, the big weekend of racing action, discussing those cards. And uh, yeah, we'll also have plenty of other content, social media. In fact, I'm putting some out right now as we speak. Uh, some interviews from guys in the back paddock. We'll get all sort of winning reactions throughout the weekend. And just an overview of, of the people, the pageantry of, of Elite Lop Weekend. I mean, uh, Nick, this is essentially, you know, their Super Bowl weekend, their Kentucky Derby weekend. So, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 people expected each day this weekend between tomorrow and Sunday. And uh, the gates open at 945, and there's this big stand right in front of the finish line that everybody rushes for, standing in line all night to be the first to get those uh, prime seats for the big race. And um, uh, everybody in an American audience with a pretty much any ADW can also, at the very least, watch these races, I would guess, if not wager on them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so today's racing, of course, is completed here at Solvala for Friday, but uh, for Saturday and Sunday, 6.45 a.m. Eastern time start for each racing day. It'll be 11.45 a.m. on uh, Sunday Eastern time for the uh, big race final and Twin Spires and TVG have all the uh, racing action here in the U.S. And for the Canadian fans, uh, HPI Bet has all your. We'll take all your wagering action on Elite Lapa Weekend. There you go. That about sums it up, Edison. Anything else you want to throw in about uh, Elite Lop Weekend? Uh, you know, Nick, just that uh, you know we're so used in the U.S. to one mile races behind the car. You know, very straightforward racing when it comes to harness racing in the U.S. If you get a chance to watch this weekend, you'll see a little bit of everything. Uh, we saw this afternoon the Cold Bloods, which are physically different kind of horses over here. Uh, they're a little bit slower, but they went 640 meters, just a 3.8 mile pure sprint for the horses. And again, as I mentioned, we'll see the Harper Hanover tomorrow, which is nearly two full miles. So uh, we've got all sorts of racing distances in between and just different racing styles, the circle starts, the auto starts. We'll see some racing under saddle events on uh, Sundays. We'll see... Uh, jockeys riding on the back of these uh, standard bread. So, uh, Nick, uh, just a fantastic weekend of racing, fantastic exhibition with all sorts of uh, different racing stars, different types of horses, different types of races. So highly, highly recommend tuning in for at least a little while. Yeah, pretty incredible, all the, the different uh, types of racing that you're going to be able to see and how things vary from what we are used to over here. Edison, thanks so much. Safe travels and enjoy it, my friend. I'm sure you're you're going to. You can certainly hear the excitement in your voice. Absolutely, Nick. Thanks, and uh, always happy to be on with you. Big thanks, of course, to Edison, and we will move right along now. Up next on this In the Money Players podcast, we shift our attention eastward, way eastward, to the far east, in fact, the land of the rising sun for our JRA segment. And joining me for that is Alex Henry, who is an expert on Japanese racing. Very glad to have you, Alex. It's uh, I, I was just saying to you, great to meet you and great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. And this is another exciting rendition of the Japanese Derby. That is uh, the fixture that we're going to focus our attention on as far as this weekend goes. So uh, tell us a little bit about the Japanese Derby. Um, just broad strokes first before we get into the nuts and bolts. This is the second leg of their Triple Crown is my understanding. Is that right? Yes, you are exactly correct. Um, but it certainly is the race that carries the, the most weight and the one that everyone wants to win, just like our Derby and the Derby in, in the UK as well. Um, so we have a race on turf at Tokyo Racecourse um, over 
2,400 meters, which is pretty much equivalent to a mile and a half um, or 12 furlongs over here in the U.S. And I hope the weather holds up and we get nice firm turf. It, it rained out the first leg of the Japanese Triple Crown, the Satsuki Show. So I really hope that it's a nice, firm, even playing field for everyone. <laughs> so they right. So mile and a half here. Um, this is at Tokyo Racecourse. Is that going to be? Is that going to be right-handed? Um. Uh. Ye, actually. No. That's uh, no. Oh, yeah. Um. I believe actually. No. Actually, it is right-handed. It is right-handed. Is right-handed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no. No problem. Um. So tell us a little bit about the winner of, of the Satsuki Show that you just mentioned, Saul Orians, who will look to make it now the first two legs of the Triple Crown. Oh yeah. So th this guy, he is undefeated. He's serious. And it this seems like 2023 is the year of potential superstars between Liberty Island uh, winning the uh, Japanese Oaks last week, looking like a, a million bucks. And now Seoul Orion's hopefully getting a, a great safe trip and so we can sh strut his stuff. This guy seems like the real deal. Uh, he's a son of Kitasan Black out of a motiva motivator mayor named Skia. He's a half-brother to the recently retired grade two winner Vindegaard. You last saw him in the Dubai uh, the 1800 meter uh, that Dubai uh, turf um, race, he he ran not as well this year, but last year he he got up to third. So nice, nice, solid family. Um, and the scary thing is for Soul Organs, he has potential upside. I'm not exaggerating. He's only run this. This will be his fourth race, and he won the Satsuki Show last time out in April. So the first leg of that Japanese Triple Crown over gross yielding turf. And he did it in two minutes, pretty much two minutes flat, two minutes and 0.6 for 2,000 meters or about a mile and a quarter on our terms. And he was ultra impressive. Please go back and watch that replay. I can't state how impressive he was enough. Um, in that race, he kind of dawdled for a bit. He was third from last pretty much the entire race. And then coming around the far turn, he was still pretty much last and the 400 meter pole, it's, it's, if you look at the replay, it's the, the pole with a four um, in it. That means four, 400 meters left or about two furlongs to go. He looked hopeless. He was 99 to one uh, at the head of the stretch. He was second last. And then still one furlong to go. He exploded, but he was still only mid-pack, maybe only 10th or 11th. And then in the last about 100 feet or so, he gets up for the win and not only got up for the win, he extended that and actually ended up winning by about a length and a quarter. So got a big, a massive speed rating, a Netkiba speed rating um, of 107. And the Netkiba speed ratings can be found on netkiba.com, um, one of the Japanese racing sites. And he has the highest speed ratings by far of anyone. He's truly the one to beat. Super impressive in his last race. So very interesting. That's all great info. You obviously do your homework on Japanese racing. There is no question about that. Um, tell us a little bit about Dora Arede, who might be somewhat familiar to an American audience, having finished second in the uh, UAE Derby behind Dermasota Gake, and who's coming back in here as well. Sure. So Dora Arede, so son of Duramente, um, out of Marchesa, uh, daughter herself of Ofrev, um, one of the uh, big Triple Crown winners of uh, last decade. So uh, this guy, he's, you know, he's been all over the world, right? So um, finish, finishing second um, to uh, to Derma Sotogake, as you previously mentioned, in March. And, you know, he, he was definitely the lesser regarded of the two, uh, but he did win the hopeful stakes um, in December of last year at Nakayama. So when, winning that, that's a grade one race. 
and he beat uh, another horse that's in here called Top Knife, who actually is my long shot uh, play, but we can get into that a bit later. And, you know, he nothing can t- be taken away from him. He's a hopeful winner. Um, hopeful is over 2,000 meters on, on turf, uh, as I stated earlier, uh, December um, for two-year-olds. And, you know, he is could move forward here. And that last race um, in, in the Middle East was on dirt, and which likely is not his preferred surface, even though he did break his maiden on dirt. So it'll be interesting. He's pretty much a question mark and um, definitely worth worth a bet. And I can actually tell you the odds right now on him. Um, he's currently sitting at quite a nice price, uh, about a decimal odds, uh, 25.9. So he's He's juicy if you want him. If you want him here, <laughs> yeah, he's a big price, no doubt about it. Um, who are some of the other contenders that you've got your eye on? Yeah, so let's talk about probably the horse that will be the second choice, uh, Skill Silfing, excuse me, Silfing, and he's nearly undefeated. Uh, son of another son of Kitasan Black, so Kitasan Black uh, getting getting a lot of love uh, here, having some great great foals this crop. So he needed a little bit more time to develop before you know, his connections felt he was um, eligible for the classic races. He broke his maiden in mid-November of last year in his second start. And once he broke his maiden, he hasn't, he hasn't really looked back. Uh, last out, he won the grade two Aoba show. Uh, that was in late April. And the Aoba show, Aoba show, excuse me, is uh, pretty much the top two finishers get a win and you're in birth to the Japanese Derby. So it's, um, it's a qualification race, basically. And he had an absolutely blazing turn of foot to get up to win that race by a half length. He came home his last three furlongs in 34.1 seconds, uh, which is impressive. And uh, he, he's actually a little bit more tactical. So he sits mid-pack, so he'll likely be ahead of Soul Orion's and probably ahead of him on the final turn. The two have not raced together, so it'll be, it'll be a great matchup. And interestingly enough, he kind of has the home, home field advantage. Uh, all three wins have been at this Tokyo race course. And one really interesting tidbit is when he broke his maiden at Tokyo Racecourse in November, as I previously mentioned, he came home his last furlongs for 2,000 meters, 2,000 meter maiden race in 33.2 seconds. That's a big wow. That's, I believe that's probably the fastest three furlong come home time of anyone in the field. So he has a, just a blazing turn of foot. And you're going to get a better price on him, even though he has star jockey Christophe Lemaire in the irons. So he'll, he's sitting right now at decimal odds of 5.6. Uh, but he's a firm second choice of Solarian. So you should be able to, even on the day with the U.S. pools, you should be able to get decent price on him. One of the other main contenders looks like Tastiera, uh, yes. who comes in as the runner-up in the Satsuki show. Absolutely. So this gorgeous, gorgeous guy uh, by Satono Crown out of a Manhattan Cafe mare. Uh, Manhattan Cafe himself, a son of Sunday Silence. So have the have lots of love for him there. Uh, this colt was second in the Satsuki show. So that first leg of the Japanese male triple crown uh, to Soul Orions. But the replay, you know, just the replay is worth a watch, not only to take a look at Soul Orions and the absolutely amazing turn of foot he had, but to see what Tastiera did. This boy, he's a little silly, I have to say. He, he's a silly guy. So in all of his races, once he strikes the front, he, he in, in the stretch, he turns, he pricks his ears and thinks, oh, I'm done here. So he kind of loafs along and his jock really has to work on him. Um, he, he gets Kohei Matsuyama, who's another legend. And in the, in the Satsuki show, when, you know, while Soul Oregon's was pretty much last around the far turn, Tastiero was picking up very nicely and struck the front, 
pretty much immediately once uh, Matsuyama asked him. So he got to the front. He probably cleared about two lengths or so, maybe two and a half lengths. And Matsuyama knew not to let up because surely someone was coming behind. So he kept riding him. He kept riding him. And it's kind of unclear if he did loaf a little bit or uh, I wouldn't really call it hanging, but he loafed along with his ears pricked. And then at in the last 100 feet or so, he lost that lead to Soul Orion. So it's unclear if he's just a little silly and needs a target to run at. I would anticipate that might be the case. Uh, so look for Matsuyama to kind of sit back a little bit and um, maybe give him a target to run at versus letting him clear the lead around, around the far turn like last time. Get caught. Yeah, it makes sense from a tactical standpoint, no doubt about it. Alex, anybody else you want to cover in this uh, Japanese derby? I, I do. I have one more guy to cover. I want to talk about a massive long shot named Top Knife. And this horse caught my eye. I was uh, scrolling at Instagram today and netkiba.com actually, or netkiba's Instagram account actually takes a pro side profile, like confirmation photos of all of the, um, the horses before a grade one race. So this race, of course, being no different. And I, I saw Top Knife's confirmation shot and from this week, and he just looks absolutely stunning. He's a son of Declaration of War out of a spinning world mare, uh, B Wind. And he, he's just kind of one that definitely had, they had high hopes for. As a two-year-old, he's kind of had seconditis. So as a two-year-old, he was second in a grade three race called the Kyoto Nasai Stakes. He got second in the grade one hopeful stakes. And then he got second in the grade th two deep impact canon. Um, and he, he's tactical. He's not going to be, he's usually not dead last. He was close to last in the Satsuki show and only picked off some horses to finish seventh. But that was on yielding turf. And fingers crossed, we should get firm turf over the weekend in Japan. I don't think he appreciated the going. And he also had been off for about four months. Um, he didn't have a race between the Satsuki show and that deep impact canon where he was second. He's currently sitting at about 65 uh, point oh odds, which is will be absolutely massive. I think he'll be virtually ignored in the US market. He could be like 99 to 1 come Saturday night. And he's one that at least definitely deserves and include on your on your vertical wagers. And that second, third, or if the super is available, the fourth spot for sure. Very interesting. That's a good one, uh, good one to have there. Maybe a share of it at a big price. What time is the uh, Japanese Derby going to go off for everybody here in the States? Yeah, so it's, uh, if you're on the West Coast, 10.40 uh, p.m. PST. And if you're on the East Coast, 1.40 a.m. EST. It's going uh, to be a late night, <laughs> but it's worth it. All right, not too terrible. Uh, could be a lot worse. It's not, not quite Hong Kong bad. But uh, still a little, <laughs> little later in the night than we would uh, we would generally stay up. Alex, this has been great. I'll definitely uh, have you on any time to talk Japanese racing. You know your stuff, and I really appreciate it. Of course. It's a pleasure, and thank you so much for having me, Nick. It's been great. For sure. Big thanks to Alex Henry for that look at the Japanese Derby. We're going to keep on trucking here. Next up, we are going to shift our attention to the West Coast and Santa Anita with Frank Scatoni here to handicap the late pick five for Saturday afternoon at Santa Anita. Frank, how's it going, buddy? It's going really well. You know, I, I used to think uh, our man Pete Fornatel was the hardest working man in show business, but I'm starting to think it's you, Nick, seeing you everywhere. and You're doing great work, so uh, I'm glad we get to talk on this podcast. I appreciate it. I'm trying to do as many things possible to see if I'm good at any of them, but um, it's, it's still a still a work in progress. Now, Pete, it's funny. Pete was actually the topic of 
a, a text exchange between me and, and a, a mutual friend of his, Marshall Graham, and, and a couple of others that we're all, you know, we're all friendly. And so we were joking with Marshall about how he's going to be at every leg of the Triple Crown. And in the meantime, in between the Preakness and Belmont, he drove to Saratoga to, to be up there for the summer. And so he said, um, oh, that's nothing compared to Pete. You know, look at Pete's itinerary. He went to the Derby. He went to Gulfstream. He went to the Preakness. He's went to England. He's going to Italy. And then he'll be at the Belmont. And I was like, holy cow. I mean, it is it is a charmed life to be Peter Thomas Fornatale. It's Pete's world. We just we just live in it. You know, he's the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> it's the truth. And he's he's due for me to give him a hard time about this being the third players podcast in the month of May alone that he has not hosted. I know. So I've, I've been on with Spencer a couple of times. So and now me. So yeah. it's 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 it's. You were ready for Pete to come back and get back to work, uh, but all kidding aside, it's uh, it's good to be with you and uh, have you on board to look at this good competitive sequence. It's going to be a fun weekend of racing at Santa Anita, of course, culminating with that Monday card that'll have the mandatory pick six plug at least for uh, for myself that I'll be doing a live stream with uh, Duke Matisse and and. Uh, I think his first name is Todd. I've always called him Chappie, but um, yeah, Jeff, Chappie. Jeff, Chappie. Chappie. Jeff, Chappie. Jeff, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Let's call him I Chappie. Not... I think that's I think yeah, exactly right. Him. Chappie and Duke and I will do that on, uh, I don't know where I came up with Todd, <laughs> but uh, he's probably a relief pitcher or something. So uh, we'll be do the, doing that Sunday night. And of course, Frank will have some great content out as always on the uh, Santa Anita cards available at uh, sananita.com. Anywhere else? Or are you just, just sananita.com? It's sananita.com right now, but uh, recently I launched my own website, frankscatoni.com, just to kind of have one place to curate everything that I'm doing, whether it's for In the Money, Santa Anita, stuff when Del Mar starts, do some stuff for optics. So I kind of wanted to have like a place for one-stop shopping in case anything I tweeted out got buried on someone's timeline. They could just go to frankscatoni.com and I have links to everything that I'm doing uh, for that week and, and beyond. So uh, check it out if you haven't been there already. No, that's great. Good to know. And uh, we'll, of course, file that away and I'll take a look for sure. Uh, let's look, take a look at this late pick five sequence, which begins on Saturday afternoon at 314 Pacific time. That's 614 Eastern time with a 12-5 claimer on the dirt going five and a half furlongs. Frank, we'll get started with you in what looks like a pretty competitive way to get the sequence going. Yeah, I thought this was a very interesting race. I think this is a very tough sequence. You know, when I was going through the the latter part of the card for Saturday, um, I, I was really excited about my handicapping, coming up with some clever angles and some clever horses. And then I look down, and usually I like to be very tight with my A's so I can kind of build my tickets around those horses that I like, you know, what, uh, a lot of people would call separators, horses that are beyond the first, second, or third choices. And it turns out that I came up with, you know, quite a few of them. So um, I don't know. I might have to come up with a caveman ticket or maybe uh, maybe my ticket structure will become a lot more clearer as we talk about these races. So the question for race five is, you know, do you single lunatic or do you, do you try to beat the horse? I mean, obviously, lunatic is the one to beat. Uh, she came off a long layoff, was protected as a waiver claim, and beat 20,000 N3L conditional claimers last time. Now Peter Miller drops her in class. Do you take her on? I'm kind of torn. Like part of me thinks, why, why isn't she running again for 20? Uh, the other part of me thinks, you know, maybe Peter Miller just wants to win the race. They're patient with her. They got to win, get another win, get a claim. You know, that's not a bad payday. Uh, so I, I am going to use her as, as one of my A's, but I, I like a couple of other horses in here. 
Uh, five to one and a four to one. So I'm going to look at number two, Tropicana Girl. She's coming out of those thousand yard races at Los Al. And, you know, don't, don't knock those races. They're often very, very competitive. And you will see horses transfer, transfer decent Los Al form in those thousand yard races here at Santa Anita, especially at the lower level. Uh, but if you dig a little deeper in her form, there's one race that sticks out like a sore thumb and with a big figure. And that's her March 17th race. She won a $10,000 open claimer very easily. She should be able to hand the slight jump up in class. But what I like most is that she's tactical. Um, I think this race is going to have a, a pretty quick pace. If she can just kind of suck back, let the speed duel develop in front of her, and just kind of, you know, track the pace, then that seven-pound weight break can kick in and, uh, you know, possibly get up and, and, and win this race five to one. And then the other horse I'll use is number eight, Talkative Gal. She has races on her form from last year against Tougher that are a really good fit in here. I know she just lost to Vegan at this level, but she was breaking from the rail at six and a half furlongs. I always toss those races out. It's very tricky at six and a half and seven here at Santa Anita. There's a gap. A lot of times these horses just don't break cleanly. Uh, now she can stalk from the outside, but more importantly, she was claimed by the formidable duo of Steve Knapp and Les Blake. And if you paid attention to the classic meet here at Santa Anita, those two won a lot of races. So uh, that's kind of where I was going. But, you know, if you wanted to use number four vegan or number three wrong turn Cupid as your bees, uh, I would not knock that. But uh, I'm going to go uh, two, seven, eight in race five. Yeah, it sure sounds like you've got the winner from that group of three. You know, the interesting thing about Lunatic, and, you know, I, I, I remember having this conversation with my father a lot, especially as he got older and, and conditions changed. And he was used to, of course, the, the pretty simple and, and, and easily laid out conditions that really were the, the norm in the 70s yeah. and the 80s. And, and, and so he would he would tell me, you know, so for horses going from a, a non-winner of uh, an N2Y to N3L, is that a drop? And so we would, you know, we would kind of talk through the conditions. Lunatic, of course, won a three-life claimer last time out and is now going to open. Right. This is a race made up of horses, really, uh, you know, the majority of whom have won at least three races. Um, there are a few in here who haven't. So... I guess this is a good spot because it's probably a weaker than par 12.5. But um, yeah, it's it's she's still a, a horse that you do have a couple of questions about, though. I'll admit I'm not going to be surprised if she wires this field and does it pretty easily. Yeah. I'll at least be prepared for that from a multi-race perspective. But you make a great point, Nick. It's like I feel like... Uh... You know, somebody should te teach a class on the condition book these days because now we have all all levels of different starter allowances. We have all of these beaten claiming events. Uh, you know, you have some races where, you know, if a horse is three years old, they can have multiple wins. But if the horse is four and up, they're, they're, they're basically a non-winner of two lifetimes. So it's it's a little crazy. And I always tell people, read the condition, you know, read the condition of the race. Because uh, oftentimes, too, you know, they, they're, the, the race might actually write a race for a horse. And if you can sniff that out, you'll be on the winner. No question about it. I've laughed recently at some of the, the races run at, at uh, Horseshoe Indianapolis for horses that have not won south of the Mason-Dixon line. So that's, yeah, that's a real condition that exists right now. That is obviously for horses that have been off during the winter or who wintered in Kentucky. So yeah. pretty, yeah. pretty funny there. Uh, second leg of the sequence, we go out to a mile, a one other than for optional claimers. I thought... This was a tough leg, Frank. I thought there was a lot of pace signed on here. And I'll admit, I was very intrigued by Motown Music, who I thought would uh, another horse second off the layoff after being in for the waiver last time out. He he kind of looked interesting to me. Um, he'll, he will have to work out a, a trip 
coming from off of it, which isn't always the easiest thing at Santa Anita. Where did you end up landing in the second leg? Yeah, I, I stared at this race for about an hour, and I, I tried to play a game with myself. Who is the proper allowance horse in this in this uh, in this N1X optional claimer? You know, a lot of these horses uh, broke their maiden for a tag, or they went on to win a starter allowance race, and a bunch of them have really struggled at the N1X condition. So I, I kind of wanted to play who's who's the allowance horse? You know, would a real allowance horse step up and show his face? Uh, and and I I believe that number three Showtime and number five Flying Drummer are proper allowance horses. And I'll talk about them in a second. But my top pick in this race is going to be number nine, Divine Armor. This horse was claimed for 50000 three back at a nice optional claiming a starter allowance win. I like that Papa Padromo just protected the horse, tried not, uh, you know, N1X foes. Next time, obviously got hurt. Something went wrong. Had to hit the bench. He came off a July layoff to run a decent second in a six furlong sprint on May 7th. And I have to think that that was just the prep for this two-turn event. You know, I, I think I think he's sitting on a big race forward. If you go back and look at his form, he's had a lot of tries at this N1X level. But, you know, I think if Papa Padromo didn't think this horse could win an allowance race, he probably would be running, running the horse uh, for either the optional 50 tag or uh, in an open 50. Um, I, I did like Motown music a lot last time. I was going to use that horse as a B uh, here today. Uh my other A's, in addition to number nine, Divine Armor, was going to be number three, Showtime. You know, if you watch the horses' last two races, um, they don't look all that impressive, but he also kind of looks a little bit like a short horse. You know, he was up on two quick early paces. Uh, he didn't really have the right race shape, got tired, still tried to the wire. I think if Smith can just kind of get him to settle the way this horse stalk and pounce in his maiden win... I think that's the winning trip. Like you said, there is a lot of speed in here. So if Smith can just kind of suck back, maybe stalk the pace. I know this horse has had tries at this level to no avail, but he's a lightly raced four-year-old. He still has some upside. He's trained by one of the all-time greats in Richard Mandela. Again, I think if Mandela didn't think this horse could win an allowance race, he probably would just run this horse. Yeah, so I, I was going to have most of my action go through Divine Armor uh, and then use number three Showtime and number Flying Drummer as also A's, but then come back and play another ticket where I kind of focus on Divine Armor just because I think he's sitting on a big race. And like I said, I do think number three Showtime and Flying Drummer are proper allowance horses. But really, I mean, you could, you could go seven deep in this race and maybe not catch the winner. I thought, like you said, Nick, this was probably one of the more competitive races on the card. Yeah, I like your angle too. I think we lose sight sometimes of... Uh of the importance of understanding who horses are that are really allowance types and who are just, you know, modified claimers. So it'll be interesting to see how this one shakes out. I do think it's a good and competitive race. That goes as the second leg. Let's go to the third leg first of a couple of graded stakes in this sequence. And we begin going down the hill at about six and a half furlongs in the Daytona named after the, uh, named after Daytona, who was a very good turf sprinter himself. Who do you like here, Frank? You know, I, I think the race is all about the five and the seven, but, you know, when you're structuring your ticket, I, I very rarely like to have a first choice and a second choice uh, on, you know, on my ticket. So I will use number five, what makes Sammy run. This horse looked really good winning the siren lore. I think he'll be a major threat right back. Considering how fast he finished up that race, you know, he had no pace to close into. 
yet he came from off the pace and he came home in under 27 seconds, which is ridiculous for the downhill course. I mean, granted, they went very slow early, so you expect him to have a, fa a fast final come home time, but you expect the others in that race to do the same, but he still, he still went by them and got up for the win. He will be an A. I will also use a little bit of a sneaky horse in here uh, as an A as well. Number two, Lovesick Blues. You know, this horse is in terrific, terrific form. And when Miyati gets them good, they tend to stay good for a bit. I know his last two big races came on dirt, but he has turf form. You know, it wouldn't shock me if this Calbred uh, upset and won today. You know, his downhill race on February 5th was actually really good. I know he finished fourth, and if you look at the paper, eh, no big deal. But he had a break from the rail, which is always tough down the hill. He was off a dawdling pace, so he had nothing to close into. He was making a move. He had some traffic, yet he still finished up very, very nicely. This horse is really, really sharp right now, so I would not discount that horse. Those will be my two A's. I will use number seven, Vernon Turf as a B horse, just because he is the other major logical contender. He's going to get a good traffic tracking trip from a good post. Um, you know, he figures to be more fit than he was last time when he finished behind what makes Sammy run in the siren lore. And uh, Dan Black is having a pretty good meet. And, uh, you know, in fact, he went over to Pimlico with one of his horses and one over there too. So uh, whatever he's doing in the barn, he's got his horses fit and ready to run. So that's how I see the race. Two, five are the A's and, and seven is B. Yeah, it felt like this was either, you know, from a multi-race standpoint, you were going to get bullish with what makes Sammy run, which again, really is not all that bullish. He's a morning line favorite at a very likely short price, or you were going to have to start making cases for other horses that, you know, were probably going to be relatively decent prices. Um, but I thought that what makes Sammy run would be very tough. And I wasn't overly concerned with the pace scenario, because as you mentioned, there was no pace on in the siren lure either, and he was still able to get it done. This is a horse who really hinted at having serious turf ability early in his career. And um, I'm glad to see him finally finally getting to it, it looks like, with Mark Glatt now in the what will be the 20th start of his career. So interesting uh, race to Daytona, first of two graded stakes. Again, let's go to the second of them, which is the triple bend at seven furlongs. This is a race that uh, really yielded some incredible performances over the years. Frank, I guess the question is, is Spirit of McKenna the new boss of the West Coast Sprint Division, at least when Straight No Chaser is out of town? Um, and, and if so, is he going to step up and prove that here? Yeah, I mean, there I've absolutely no knocks against this horse except for his, you know, maybe uh, slight physical issues. Uh, I, I remember earlier in the meet, this horse kept getting entered and then, <laughs> and then scratched. And I kept wanting to bet the horse every time. So I don't know what was going on. Uh, but clearly when this, when this horse is entered and he actually gets to the starting gate, he shows up. He's a, he's a lightly raised five-year-old. So again, I mentioned whatever physical issues he has. Uh, Papa Padrone has done a heck of a job. I mean, this horse is a head away from being undefeated. He's clearly the horse to beat. And, and again, I have, I have no knocks against this horse. Uh, he, you know, easily ran down Forbidden Kingdom last time at seven furlongs, so I see no reason why he won't do it again. But I wanted to offer a little bit of a sneaky horse in here. Um, you know, number three, Positivity at 15 to one. I'm going to give him a little wise guy consideration. You know, O'Neill took this guy for 50K back in 2021. He turned him into a very good seven furlong horse. You know, there are certain horses that excel at certain things, and I, I think this is a proper seven furlong horse. You know, granted, he's a Calbred. He might be a cup below, uh, you know, a spirit of a McKenna, for instance. Uh, but I thought his run in the Kona Gold off a very long layoff was actually a very, very useful prep. I mean, it doesn't really look all that pretty on paper or if you watch it, um, you know, without experienced eyes, you might just think, eh. But 
early on, he kept up with a blazing fast Brickyard ride for about a quarter of a mile. And then, you know, Brickyard ride shows that brilliant speed and, you know, kind of separates. So once that horse started to separate, Positivity didn't quit. He just kind of got in his own rhythm and he kept trying all the way to the wire. He could have easily laid down and finished last in that race. But I really liked the way he dug in and tried and he outgamed a horse for third. And I really think he's going to get a lot out of that. And this horse is a seven furlong specialist. So while he might not be good enough to beat Spirit of, of Makina, uh, I think he's definitely going to outrun his 15 to 1 odds. So I was going to be a little sneaky and use both of them as A's. Obviously, a little more action through Spirit of Makina because he's a shorter price. And, um, you know, he's the, <laughs> uh, clearly the more likely winner. But don't don't knock number three positivity here in this uh, in this in this running of the triple Ben. I like it. On to race number nine, capping this sequence with $50,000 maiden claimers, a field of eight going postward in here. And uh, Frank, I, I like the seven paid in gold quite a bit, who I thought had some legitimate issues last time out, first time turf, took to the surface overall really well, and now stretches out in distance. Are you on that daughter of Ransom the Moon and or anybody else? I am. I, I mean, I absolutely give paid in gold a chance. I was going to I was gonna make her a B. Um, just because of the 17 price. And I was going to use another another horse from that race as, as an A, actually. Uh, but before I talk about that horse, um, you know, I've talked with Pete and Spencer a couple of times on this podcast about, you know, I'm a little stubborn almost to a fault where uh, – three-year-old fillies this time of year, even though it's getting later in the year, I still have to really, really like them to bet them at a short price against older horses. So uh, I have three A's in the race. Two of them are going to be the four-year-olds, the one and the two. Crocious times. Uh, she's improved in each start. Figures to run another good one. She gets Hernandez. Uh, you know, all she really has to do is beat a bunch of three-year-olds uh, in this race. So I think you absolutely have to use her breaking from the rail. And then uh, I was going to use uh, your horse's stablemate, the, the other Mark Lat, number two picture of a lady. Uh, this is the aforementioned, this is a long layoff horse, four-year-old. So I give her an advantage over the younger runners. I also like um, this This angle doesn't work nearly as good in route races or in turf races, but Mark Lat is so good at getting horses ready off a layoff. Uh, I know Baffert gets all the credit for having his horses, you know, fire big off a layoff, but I have been so in tune with flat horses coming off a layoff. So he usually has them ready to run. Again, I like it much better in third sprints, but, you know, uh, this one is a waiver claim today, so she's not in for the tag. So it is quite possible that she's just going to use this as a prep. But again, I still like that four-year-old against younger horses angles. So those are my two A's as four-year-olds. And then talked about the, the race that Peyton Gold came out of. Number three, Crescendo Molto. Uh, very, very sneaky in here to me. 15 to one on the line was off slowly in her, her debut. She wasn't the most professional. She was lagging a million miles back. But I think it was a very good educational run for a trainer who rarely has them fully cranked. I expect her to do much better today. And if you watch the whole gallop out, you get a, you, you get like a two second glimpse of her on the backstretch. The jockey's still kind of asking her for more, really trying to get, uh, some foundation into this horse. So I think that horse is very, very sneaky. One concern, which I really don't like to see, she's a half to a $3 million earner in Taste of New York, and yet she's running for a 50K tag. So that is a little bit of a red flag, but um, 
I think she can outrun her odds today. So I was going to use one, two, and three as my A's. And I do have your number seven, Peyton Gold, as a B, because that was a very, very good race. That horse had trouble, still finished up willingly. And, you know, Glatt can get them to can get them to stretch out. So that's how I see the nightcap. You'll have to improve a bit in second asking, but, you know, most horses often do. Or that's the kind of second-time turf, I should say. Uh, most horses get better, of course, with experience. Frank, this has been great. And a nice, thorough, and detailed look at the sequence. And, of course, everybody can get your work again at SantaAnita.com and at FrankScatoni.com. That's right. Thanks, Nick. I really appreciate you having me on. You bet. Absolutely, my friend. Thank you so much. We're going to keep on rolling here to our final segment. And closing out the In the Money Players podcast for this Friday afternoon, we're going to take a look at the pick six sequence at Belmont Park on Saturday afternoon. A good sequence uh, Another in a line of them, actually, that have been going on for quite a while. We've seen some pretty solid racing in New York. Looking forward to this sequence, and joining me will be Blake Jesse to take a look. Blake, ready to rock and roll as always, I'm sure, on this pick six. Absolutely, Nick. This is a great card on tap uh, for this Saturday afternoon at Belmont. So uh, looking forward to uh, digging in this with you. I can assure you no carryover after the, uh, I think the pick six just paid $1,200 on Friday afternoon, which, you know, it looked like it could get a little chalky and it certainly did. Um, biggest winner, biggest price winner in the sequence, $8 and 40 cents, um, $8 and 50 cents. Excuse me. There was one other winner over $8. The pick six paid $1,215. I'm fond of 1215. So would have been my kind of payoff. Um, and this pick six sequence, we start at a mile and a 16th on the inner turf in race number five at three Oh three Eastern time. And the question here, Blake, and I don't know if I've done it yet, can you forgive utilization rates defeat last time out and expect her to bounce back here off a beaten or off a loss at three to five? You know, I, I can forgive it. The uh, flip side of that is, is I can't forgive Doral. You know, Doral's getting blinkers on. If you're a blinkers on guy and you think that's going to do the trick for Doral and get her over the hump, uh, that's you know more power to you. But none of my tickets are going to have Doral on it. Uh, just a horse that's had no excuses in its first two starts and then went to Keeneland and was just pitiful. I was drawn bad, but you know, it was pitiful. So, um, I, I really am going to be looking at a few different places. I'm not going to be using utilization rates solely as an A I've, I've got four horses. I like in here to try to advance in this sequence. Um, Doral's not one of them. I'm going to start off here with double dream. The two horse, uh, it's a curlin first timer for Chad, uh, Flavian gets aboard, you know, you don't need a lot of, uh, you know, convincing, uh, you know, with the, those connections, the, uh, the horse that I'm going to, you know, call my, uh, my on top selection is the three Zapera, um, you know, making the second start, you know, uh, looks like, you know, really just kind of figured it out late in the lane in that first start. And, um, you know, start two here, we're getting Javier in the saddle. So, uh, I'll give her the nod as the top selection. The others I'm going to look at, though, is, uh, you know, the morning line favorite utilization rate, uh, another for Chad. And then the other, uh, a bit of a price is uh, the seven empathy. Um, you know, had a little bit of uh, trouble in the first start. They're putting the blinkers on. Uh, Joel gets aboard. Uh, you know, Brayu uh, does okay with that uh, move in second start. Uh, they're 27%. So, uh, perhaps at a price empathy can score here. 
I like it. I, I thought there was uh, – we have some common ground for sure. I didn't love Durrell's last race either. I also don't ever get Bill Mott right. So it's, you know, it's customary for me. Um, obviously, the pedigree on this horse, you, you were kind of hoping that she'd end up being good, being out of Decida, who was a grade one winner for Chad Brown. The interesting pedigree in here by far, as you mentioned, is Double Dream, who's a first-time starter by Curlin out of Enchanted Rock. Enchanted Rock, of course, produced El Padrino, who was a really solid dirt runner, uh, during his time in the care of Todd Pletcher, this is actually more of a dirt pedigree. But I will tell you, nobody in my experience has ever won more turf races with horses with dirt pedigrees than Chad Brown. He just seems to be, he knows exactly what it takes to get a horse to the turf. And sometimes the pedigree is, is irrelevant with him. So yeah, I was in agreement. I thought utilization rate was the horse to beat, but I do think the interesting horses by far are Double Dream and Zapera. Zapera is a candidate to move forward second time out. Didn't have any trouble or excuse in, in, in her debut. Um, you know, didn't have anything that you want to worry about trip-wise, but I think she'll get better with a little bit of experience in that super competitive first leg of the sequence. Let's go to race six, which of course kicks off the pick five as well. Seven furlongs here. And uh, I was surprised by the number of horses we had in here uh, coming from all over. We've got a few cutbacks. We've got a few horses staying at seven eights or continuing to sprint. I thought this was a super competitive bunch. Blake, where'd you land? Yeah, I, you know, this is a, a race and uh, a situation where I've been waiting on a horse like Vittorio to cut back. Um, you know, it's been going, uh, you know, nine furlongs, eight and a half, eight and a half. And uh, today we're cutting back to seven, getting the one turn. And he, he's, he's just, you know, feels like a better horse going around one turn. So um, I'm giving the uh, sole nod to Vittorio in here. It's going to be a little bit of a short price, I think. But I, I don't know if it's going to be much less than eight to five. But uh, that's where I'm going to hitch my wagon in this uh, pick six sequence and uh, hope that Javier can get the job done. I mean, speed figure wise, he's better than these horses. And, you know, you and I were were betting on Keeneland together in, in a number of days. And I remember one of the things that you said to me was you were very concerned about Vittorio getting the mile in an eighth last time. And, you know, it ended up being a race where we got bounced from the pick five sequence. And yeah, exactly what happened was that uh, this horse got late just in that final 70 yards or so. And the winner came up the inside to grab him late. I do think it's a terrific cutback. I, I totally agree. The only other horse I could imagine myself using is majority partner who Linda Rice does run very frequently, but he continues to produce. And I think his last race is probably better than it looks on paper. I know speed figure wise, he got back to his, his gent normal mid to high 80 type of fig, but he set a pretty strong pace that day. And I think now he gets a chance to kind of be the hunter instead of the hunted being on the outside and with a rival to his outside that has no speed. So I think he might end up being in a relatively decent spot there. Majority partners, a horse that I could see myself using at least as a backup. Let's go to the featured event on the card. Race seven is the soaring softly at seven eighths on the Widener turf course. You know, Love Appeals, uh, is Love Appeals a buy or sell for you as the likely favorite here coming in off a huge win with Lasix against Open Company? That's what I was just getting ready to say. I mean, we're playing the Lasix lottery again, Nick. And, um, you know, Love Appeals, um, you know, has had her best races with Lasix. And uh, today, you know, she's going to be without it. Um, you know, Got a user, but I'm not sold as, you know, as six to five morning line suggests here that 
Um, you know, it's simple as, uh, you know, case closed, turn the page, uh, a horse like American apple that's, uh, you know, basically taking her show on the road every time for, you know, obscure connections and Daniel Leach, uh, and run a, a great race just about every start. Um, you know, I, I I'm going to be very hard to, uh, not be using her equally as love appeals. And then, you know, to her outside is queen Picasso, who in her first start, uh, you know, she was awfully impressive and, uh, Jose, you know, I'm not sure if he had the option between the one and the four, but he does end up here on the four and, uh, you know, the cut back to seven with this Philly, uh, it just looks like that's going to suit her well. And it seems like she's, uh, you know, really, you know, doing well in the lead up to this in the morning. So, uh, I'm going to be using two, three and four, and uh, I'm not really separating those three. Yeah, tough to argue with those numbers. I, I think actually anybody else winning would be kind of a surprise. It feels a little idiotic to be throwing out two Chad Brown horses, but I, I don't really like either of these horses. I'm not going to bet them just because they're from his barn. I didn't think Senior Prank had much of an excuse last time out, and um, and I thought Lady Beth would have to improve off a debut that was run on the synthetic surface. So I felt like you could, you'd probably be safe with the two and three, and I think I'm going to bet American Apple to win as well, especially if she's around nine to two. Or five to one. I could really see the public going nuts for love appeals. I think American Apple's last race is better than it looks on paper as well. Third off the layoff here. And I love that they've gone back to the, the tactics that would probably make her most dangerous, which is to lay back and make one run. It's a good thing that she has that speed because in a race like this, she can stay a little bit closer. But in general, I'd like to see her, you know, again, being held up to produce that one late run. Race eight, three more to go in this sequence. We go to a mile, a $25,000 open claimer. Tough bunch here again. I don't want to sound like too much of a of a cheerleader for the racing program here, but you're going to have glory road as the favorite dropping from 40 to 25. And he doesn't exactly get your, uh, your blood flowing, right? Um, I've got written down in my notes here, minefield don't feel comfortable <laughs> with anything in here. So um, right. it, it's that type of race. And as far as the sequence goes, it's the toughest, um, you know, and it's the one you're going to really just have to hold your breath and try to get through. Um, I have, you know, possibles Nick in here is the one, my friend's beer, um, the three Al Cools, um, Al Cools absolutely loves Belmont. I mean, he, seven starts, four wins, and he's going in for a tag for the first time and, uh, three or four starts. So, um, don't let the, uh, obscure connections there, uh, you know, deter you from that one. Uh, another one, uh, that I'm going to be using is, uh, the six, uh, glory road, you know, the morning line favorite, got to use that one. Uh, the seven Rocco strong, uh, for Carlos Martin and then the eight dust devil. So, I mean, this is a very, very tough race that I'm just not going to be taking too many chances in, uh, you know, I have stronger opinions elsewhere. So I'm just going to try to get through this one and, uh, spend a couple extra dollars to do it. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I was going to mention uh, Dust Devil on the outside going to the mile for uh, staying at the mile, I should say, for Gustavo Rodriguez, who had that huge win on the Saturday afternoon from Mystical Curlin that most people missed because it happened right before the Preakness. But uh, his barn looks to be uh, poised to heat up a little bit. That one's dropping pretty significantly in class. I also thought that uh, the, while Glory Road was the horse to beat, you wanted as many alternatives as possible. And I agree with your sentiment on Al Cools, who looks to be in a good spot at his favorite racetrack. Race number nine is at a mile and three-eighths on the inner turf course. 
got a sizable, you know, decent sized field here of seven going postward. And the morning line favorite is uh, the four inflation adjusted for Mike Maker, who was third last out, well beaten behind QF 75 in a race that was dominated on the front end. Where did you land on inflation adjusted and here in general? Yeah, you know, Nick, I think inflation adjusted is going to get my top selection in here. Um, the reason being is, is, uh, he's had two starts over the Belmont course, a first and a third. So it feels kind of like he, you know, agrees with this, um, you know, this, uh, venue for one and second, you know, the second choice dancing with stars, uh, for Dominic Chitino, the one horse here, it seems like he needs a couple of starts to get his season going. That's kind of the way he's uh, been going, uh, the last couple of years, uh, in his career. So, I just feel like that uh, if there's a little bit of edge, it's the recency with inflation adjusted. But, you know, there's also a sleeper in here that it's like, why is Christophe Clement, you know, bringing a, a four-year-old that hasn't raced in two years back to the races? You know what I mean? There's got to be a story to this one. Um, they haven't gelded it or anything. Uh, you know, it broke its maiden at fairgrounds back in December of 2021. And uh, here they are. So, um you know, it just feels like perhaps if there's anything to give, uh, it's going to be today. Um, you know, it's going to have a short leash with uh, having such, uh, you know, long times between starts. So uh, I think if this horse has got anything, it's going to definitely be ready to roll uh, today. So for me, it's um, in order four seven one. Yeah, I like it. The only other horse I would mention who I think does have a little bit of a look in here is the six fighter in the win. I think there's an excuse for his last race. He was wide going into that first turn and up close on top of a hot pace, he probably should be able to get loose in this field. I don't know if it's going to be enough to help him win, but I do think he'll have a much better shot of getting it done, at least from a race flow perspective. And he's going to be among the horses that you can at least envision winning this race. I think he's going to be the best price because um, the one, four and seven, who you said are, are all the, they're the three main win candidates. He's probably the, you know, the fourth leg in the chair, so to speak, but a horse that is capable on his best day, the nightcap and or go ahead. I was going to say, you know, it's a good point you make there. And Manny Franco gets the call here. And it's uh, Manny Franco's got the best out of this horse. Uh, he's, you know, ridden it three times and by far uh, had its two best results stateside. So, uh, you know, interesting uh, one to look at there. Yeah, it could be an opportunity for him to get back to his best. The nightcap is at seven furlongs on the Widener turf course. We have New York Bread Maidens going postward here. I mentioned uh, to Steve Bick. Earlier today that I liked Photon and Autumn, who I thought would both be relatively good prices. No denying, in my opinion, that the nine loon cry is the horse to beat. But I just felt like those two were going to offer a little bit more value in what is a pretty competitive race. How are we going to close this thing out? I'm with you here, Nick. Um, I've got top selection to Autumn. It's not every day that you uh, have a horse that clipped uh, heels and fell a month ago and you're going to give it the uh, on top uh, selection. But uh, that's what I'm going to do here with Autumn. Um, the other ones that I want to talk about, um, cause this is a very competitive heat, uh, the nine loon cry is going to take a lot of money. Um, looks like she, you know, might be the type that has a little bit of a problem, uh, you know, closing it out and getting over the hump. So, uh, I don't really want to, um, you know, depend on her too much in this nightcap, especially if I'm sitting on a big score here. So um, the others that I want to talk about, the 12, three cups full, uh, first are for Joe Sharp. They paid, uh, you know, a quarter million for her. Um, you know, they 
had the training going on in uh, Kentucky and uh, the last two uh, works have been here at Belmont. So it feels like there's uh, some intent getting this one to New York and, uh, uh, you know, getting her on the turf with her, uh, you know, her own breed. So Ired gets the call here. Um, not going to leave her off. Uh, the other I want to talk about that um, definitely going to be using on backup tickets is the eight spinning colors. Uh not sure what happened in the last. I can only assume that it may have been something to do with bleeding. Uh, she's getting the Lasix for the first time today and getting her first start as a three-year-old. Um, it's a hard spun that's, uh, you know, usually they take to the turf. So um, I- I'll be using her on some uh, backup tickets. And then uh, the others, you've already mentioned the five photon and uh, the one, or the, excuse me, the two, a first-time starter for Leah Giramatti, um, Astern. Uh, you know, they, they're doing all right on the turf. So, um, you know, she's had some uh, big prices win first out uh, recently. So uh, I'll use the two sail with wind as a backup as well. But for me, the mains here are seven, nine and 12. Yeah, you mentioned spinning colors who is out of the uh, the dam, the mayor kaleidoscope who produced cartwheel. She was mainly better on the dirt, but she did uh, drop a couple of turf winners. So there's little reason to believe this horse could get better on the lawn. First time Lasix as well is never a bad thing, especially for a horse that's going to show a little bit of speed. Snowy Evening was second at 30 to one last time out. I'm not sure if we didn't miss the wedding there a little bit, but she's a filly that at least improves getting back to the turf. I could see her making noise. Winning might be a little bit out of reach, but I do think she is a threat to get a piece of it here. Well, that is it for the Belmont pick six sequence. Anything else you wanted to add about this, uh, Blake? No, other than that, you know, these Belmont cards have been great to start the year. And, uh, you know, we got uh, the Belmont stakes just two weeks away. So uh, um, it's just going to get better and better. Got that right. All guns towards that Belmont stakes coming up in a couple of weeks. I want to thank Blake Jesse for joining me to cover this Belmont pick six. A big thanks to my other guests going all the way uh, to Edison Hatter, who came to us via Sweden to talk about uh, the Swedish harness racing going on over there. We also had Alex Henry on to talk about the Japanese Derby. Frank Scatoni covered the Santa Anita Pick 5. And Blake, of course, with this really good look at the Belmont Pick 6. I wanted to thank all of you, the subscribers, the horse players. Do your thing and rate, like, subscribe so that we can continue to grow and prosper all of the in-the-money media in the money plus members a big thank you to all of you hopefully you enjoyed all of the triple crown content so far and note that we have quite a bit more coming at you additionally new york thoroughbred breeders is not only the official authorized representative of the new york bread program and breeders in new york but you can also become a member and enjoy benefits such as the monthly copy of the new york breeder magazine and free general admission entrance to any naira racetrack visit nytbreeders.org membership to learn more when wagering on Monday's all New York bread card, please know that no ADW does more to support the New York bread program than Naira Vets. Right now, you can join Naira Vets for a $25 free bet plus $200 deposit match. Visit NairaBets.com for details. And if you're looking for coverage of that New York bread program, stay right here in the Money Media. Nick Tamaro and Andy Serling will have a podcast covering the card, and it'll be available on Saturday afternoon. The Horse Player Happy Hour is back with our first tournament coming at you on June 8th, right before the Belmont Stakes. Don't miss out on a great opportunity to support a great cause while also building your opportunity to qualify for the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge. Stay tuned to the In The Money Media Network for more information. Don't miss our amazing Monday Memorial Day coverage that will feature a live stream of the great racing at Santa Anita, including a coverage of the mandatory payout pick six for Monday's card, which includes three grade one races. There'll be a live stream handicapping Monday's Santa Anita races 
featuring Jeff Chapman, Duke Matisse, and Nick Tamaro, available on Sunday night at around 5.30 Pacific time. 